Hello. Our Bible reading for this message is taken from James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. I'd encourage you to push pause on this video now. Go and have a read through that passage in your Bible, uh, perhaps with your family, and then come back and uh, carry on listening to this morning's sermon. So that's James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. In the Christian life, all the time, but perhaps even especially in a time like this, our decisions in life, the choices that we make, need to be based upon deep biblical thinking and not on quick emotional reactions. How is it that God's grace comes to you? And how do you respond to that grace when the bills are piling up, when there's no end in sight to a lockdown, uh, when the stresses and strains of a relationship uh, are beginning to get the better of you, when your own sin uh, begins to well up from inside you, uh, when the pressures and the pain that you're going through, the circumstances uh, that maybe nobody knows about except for yourself and the Lord, uh, begin to get the better of you. How, do, how does God's grace come to you and how do you respond to that grace in the midst of life circumstances? How will we be formed into deep biblical thinkers and not be the kind of people who just make knee-jerk emotional decisions and reaction? Well, in our passage this morning, James tells us that everything depends on our response to the Word of God. Uh, that everything that we will do during the course of this life that will set us up for eternity has to do with our attitude when God's Word comes to us. The way that we're formed into deep uh, biblical thinkers is when God's Word comes to us and we hear it and we receive it and we do it and we show it up in our lives. I've just got two points to make this morning. Break this passage up into two parts, which really just summarize it, and we'll work our way through. Uh, so the first one is as we think about our response to God's Word, our attitude to God's Word, in verses 19 to 21, James tells us that the first part of that response is hearing and receiving. Verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. Now, we quote that verse often, and it gets printed on coffee mugs and fridge magnets and cards and all over the place, uh, and we just kind of think, hey, that's a, that's a great inspirational quote to live by. And it's true that all of our marriages would be so much better uh, if we put that into practice all the time. All of our work relationships would be so much better. All of, all of our relationships would be so much better if that was something that we could actually practice. But what we need to understand in James this morning to state the obvious, as uh, so many other people have done for us already, verse 19 is sandwiched in between, wait for it, verses 18 and 21. Now, that is really important because, and if I could just find verse 18 in front of me, uh, verse 18 says, uh, By his own choice, God gave us birth by the word of truth so that we could be a kind of first fruits of his creation. And in verse 21, uh, we're told that we're to humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save you. 
So verse 19 isn't talking about words and relationships in general. It's talking about one relationship and one word in particular. And that word is the word of God. The word by which he reveals himself. The word by which he makes himself known. The word by which he saves us. The word by which he created all things and brings them and sustains them in the beings that they are in. And so he says, James, he's trying to encourage us as followers of Jesus to understand this. And it's really pointed what he's going to say is because James is speaking from first-hand experience. Remember, half-brother of Jesus, grew up in the same home as Jesus, heard all of these heavenly words, heard Jesus teach, thought he was crazy, tried to make him stop. James epitomizes uh, hearing the word but not receiving the word, hearing the word but never listening to the word. Uh, James was not one who was quick, quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. In actual fact, it seems that he was quick to speak and he was quick to anger when he tried to get Jesus, along with his other brothers, to stop talking and to take him away. Everyone then, James says, when it comes to the Word of God, needs to understand that your attitude and the way that you're formed by the Word of God into a deep biblical thinker, and don't think that you need years and years and years and years and years to become a, a deep biblical thinker. Anyone who applies this principle to the way that they listen to God's Word can learn to and can become a deep biblical thinker. Everyone then should be quick to listen. Break that down just for a second. Quick is an active word, isn't it? And listening tends to be something that's quite passive. How many of us are guilty of nodding, mm-hmm, 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 and being turned to and asked, usually by our loved one, what was the last thing that I said? Now, if you listened to me before, you know that I'm really good at telling Janine what the last thing that I said was. So she's figured this one out. She says, what would I say three sentences ago? And then I'm usually stumped. Uh, we tend to be kind of uh, quick to cursory listen, but never actually quick to listen. Listening here isn't something that is passive. Uh, quick to listen is active. It is chasing after. It's uh, running after the prize. And usually think, we think the prize is the tape. It's the end of the race. It's the goal that we have uh, to run under a certain time. But here James says that the goal is to listen to run after listening, to pursue listening, to have listening as our goal. And he goes on to say that we should be slow to speak and we should also be slow to become angry. Those two things that he applies to slowness to. Uh, how often is it that we just want to get our opinion and we want to be heard? You know, who isn't guilty? I just, I just want you to hear me. I just wanted to be heard. Uh, in actual fact, sometimes we, you know, we, we want the person who's talking to hurry up, hurry up so that I can get my words in. Uh, or we don't even wait for them to hurry up. We just get our words in and we interrupt them. Um, and sometimes we can be like that with God's word. We want to tell God what our opinion is rather than letting his word transcend our life and form and shape our opinion. We should also be slow to anger. Now, I'm sure that it's right to understand in this verse that being slow to anger is the recognition that when there's anger taking place amongst relationships, that anger can block off those relationships. It can block off our access to the Word of God. If you come to church angry with your wife or your husband, you come to church angry with your kids, you come to church angry with somebody at church, it can be really distracting and really difficult to sit under and listen to the Word of God. 
But I think there's something else that's also going on in these verses. And when you think about what's already happened in chapter 1, James has spoken about uh, counting of joy when we face trials uh, and uh, remembering uh, what happens and where temptations come from. And so I think that underlying all of this is the possibility that we come to God's Word angry with God. You know, have you ever had that where you find that you're angry with God for some reason? He didn't do something that you wanted him to do. Some life situation didn't work out the way that you planned. Uh, things are just not going the way that you'd hoped they would. Um, and, and you're angry with him. And, and the thing about that anger is that it, it just preoccupies the mind. It makes it difficult to read the Bible. When you do manage to spend time praying, if you can get over yourself, you find that all you're thinking about in your prayers is a thing that you're angry at God about, disappointed at God with. And so James says, now hang on, you, you need to be slow to anger, uh, especially when it comes to thinking about God, because God is good. There's no evil in God. God doesn't tempt. He's not the source of evil. Uh, and so you have no right to be angry at God. Uh, if it's because you're uh, putting pride or, or other sinful desires in that place, and so you, you become angry at him. And can I just say that if I was a, a doctor prescribing medicine uh, to you who maybe finds yourself today angry with God, I, I'd want to prescribe you the, the book of Psalms, 150 Psalms, uh, to go and search those Psalms. The Psalms help us so well to deal with our anger issues. Uh, it helps us to work through um, how we can rightly understand anger and to recognize within ourselves when our anger with God is uncalled for uh, and how we can begin to work through uh, those anger issues that we have with them. Now, now, sometimes anger is right. There is such thing as righteous anger. But I'm pretty sure that 9.9 .9 times out of 10, anger with God is, is never going to be a righteous anger because righteousness comes from God. Goodness uh, comes from God. Uh, and, and so if you find yourself this morning angry with God, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to struggle to humbly accept and receive God's word planted in you that is working out your salvation. And so perhaps this morning, the thing that you need to do with God's word is to take that anger to God and ask him to help you uh, to work through that, uh, to cast those cares upon him, because he does care for you. James goes on and talks about that this human anger, it doesn't accomplish God's righteousness. In actual fact, it works against God's righteousness. And so you won't be able to be quick to listen if you find yourself angry at God. Uh, and it's something that God invites us to come to Him with. If there's something you want to talk more about, I'd be happy to have a conversation with you during the course of this week. Just drop me a message, uh, give me a phone call, and it's something that we can work through. Uh, it's something that I've had to work through myself. And it's something that I think all Christians at some point or other find that they have to work through. And it's an important thing to be able to work through. And so James then says that it's not just about hearing the word, but it's also about receiving the word. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Alright, so there James has that eternal perspective working itself out again. He's worried about eternity. He's worried about the salvation of your souls. He recognizes that if you can't humbly accept God's word that's being planted in you, you cannot be saved. 
uh, for the word of God and salvation come together. It's by, it's through Jesus, but it's by that word planted in you that you are being saved. And he says in verse 21, just something that we need to recognize in terms of what we need to put off in order to humbly receive that word. He says, rid yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And I think what James is getting at there, he's, he's getting uh, to the heart of what is repentance. He's basically saying, if you come to God's word uh, with sin, if you come to God's word holding on to sin, if you come to God's word and say, listen, God, you can have all these other things and you can change and you can transform my life, but this one thing is mine. You can't have it. Your word cannot touch it. You're never going to be able to humbly receive that implanted word because those things, that moral filth or that evil that is so prevalent pollutes you. It stops you from repentance. It stops you from coming to God. It says, Lord, you know, I'm happy with so many of these other things in your Bible, but I'm not happy with this. And so it becomes this blocker uh, so that you resist uh, the transformation uh, that God desires for you, the transforming into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. It stops humility. It doesn't let you be humble because you say like, Lord, you can kind of have all of this other stuff, but you can't have this. Uh, there's a streak of arrogance that runs through here. Lord, you, this, this is mine. And, and the danger that we have when it comes to this type of thing is that we can look around at our lives and it's going so well. And if, Lord, you know, if, if, if God really had a problem with this particular thing that I'm harboring, this thing that I'm thinking, that I'm looking at, that I'm saying, that I'm doing, or whatever it is, He'd strike me down with lightning. He'd expose me. And it's often, you know, it's interesting how it talks about this filthiness and the evil that's so prevalent. I don't think he's talking about gross public sins. He's talking about secret sins that quite possibly nobody except you and the Lord know about. But those things, whatever they might be for you, are going to get in the way. They are going to uh, not allow your attitude to God's word to be one of total humility so that it can be implanted deep into you and so that it can work out the salvation of your souls. So that's the first thing that James talks about in terms of forming us into deep biblical thinkers and not allowing us ourselves uh, to just react emotionally all the time, all the time. Let me just make one comment or one application of how this works itself out, and I hope that this will open up all kinds of other applications for you to think about personally in your own life. Uh, let's just think about uh, the passages in the Bible that teach us and form us and shape us in terms of how we think about and relate to the government around us. Uh, we're called to uh, submit uh, to those in authority because God who is sovereign has put them there and has put them into power. We're told to pray for those people who are in positions of leadership. And so you think about um, what's going on around us in this time and although maybe we're obeying the letter of the law probably out of fear of a fine uh, or imprisonment, uh, there's a pretty strong possibility that our attitude towards those in positions of power and leadership isn't a biblical one. It's actually an emotional one. 
So are we in a position where we can be quick to listen to God's word, slow to add in our own opinions about what's going on, slow to become angry because of the situation, recognizing that our anger doesn't accomplish God's righteousness, putting aside whatever it is that we, is in us that makes us so prideful and arrogant to think that we know better, not than just the government, but actually than God himself who put him there, and all of those things are stopping us from humbly accepting the implanted word that's able to save our souls. Friends, this is how God's grace comes to us, and this is how it calls us to respond. Now, my only application is not the government. There are so many other things, and you need to go away, and you need to think about your own hearing and receiving. Are you hearing in such a way that you're actually listening and taking on board so that you can receive it? Or are you finding all kinds of ways to put up all kinds of barriers and shields so that you don't have to listen to it and you don't have to hear it? The second thing that James picks up on then is doing and showing in verses 22 to 27. Verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Uh, this maybe is one of the most central verses in the whole book of James. It's certainly one of the most practical books in the whole Bible when it comes to obeying faithfully God's word. Uh, at the heart of it, James is saying, be careful of your own hearts because you will deceive yourselves. He's saying it's not enough just to hear. It's not enough to just get knowledge. It's not enough to just get information. If that's all you're doing, you're actually deceiving yourselves. You need to be a doer of the word. And then he gives this illustration in verse 23. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and immediately he forgets what kind of person he was. So that's someone who is a hearer of the word, but not a doer. He looks and he forgets. You hear the word, you forget the word, and you do nothing with the word. You continue uh, not as one who is deeply informed and whose thinking is transformed to think biblically, but you carry on in that emotional response to everything in life. Then he goes on and says, verse 25, But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom, who looks in and who keeps looking in, he perseveres in it, and he's not a forgetful hearer. He is, but he's a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. This is the one uh, on whom God's favor will rest. You know, it, James loves to quote from the Sermon on the Mount. He loves to quote and extrapolate more on Jesus' teaching. Uh, it'd be worth your while going and uh, reading the parable of the wise man who built his house on the rock and the foolish man who built his house on the sand. Uh, Je Jesus says that the, the wise man who built his house on a rock is the person who hears the word and who does it, who hears the word and who puts it into practice. It will have this lasting effect for all eternity. And so that's what James is calling us to be. He's calling us to be doers of the word. He's saying to you, when you hear the word, when you hear it preached, when you go to Bible study, when you listen to Bible study, when you read your own Bible, are you reading it just to get some information? Are you reading it just to hear something nice and get some inspiration for Monday? Uh, is it just kind of like settle you? Um, and I want to say that if, if that's all that it's doing, 
You're only going halfway and you're in danger of being this person who hears the word and who looks in the mirror and who turns away in the mirror and who forgets. You hear it, but it isn't actually informing and transforming you. Uh, you need to take those things that you're learning and ask yourself every day, every day, how am I doing this? How am I putting this into practice? How is this changing the way that I think? It's not always, remember, hearing the word and doing the word is not necessarily always about outward actions. Sometimes it's about inward change, inward transformation, an inward change of thoughts or attitudes. How's my attitude to the government? Just using that one to go back a couple minutes. How is it being changed and transformed by God's word? Or let me ask you this, digging a little bit deeper. When was the last time that something that you heard from the Bible changed you deeply? Where it challenged the very foundations of your life and your existence? Where it made you have to rethink a lot of things about yourself as a person? One of my uh, pet hates, I'm not going to get up on a soapbox, but just my, my pet hates is when I hear someone say, you know, that... That message, that Bible reading, that was a great reminder. It was a great reminder. And I hear that so often today. It was a great reminder. I don't often hear saying, people saying, wow, that, that, that's the first time that I, I've heard that and thought about that in that way. We love to be reminded of the things that we know. Because when we're reminded of the things we know, we don't have to change. But God's Word requires it calls for change. It calls for change because it's only when we hear God's word and do God's word that we can be the people, the, that, we're, that we're, it's only when that happens that we are truly our authentic self. Your authentic self isn't you doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, the way you want to do it. That's your sinful self. Your authentic self is when you hear God's word and it changes you so deeply that, it's that it sets the course of your life on a completely different trajectory that is towards God that you find that you are being the authentic person that God created you to be. James says then it's doing but it's also showing. So the doing of God's word is going to manifest itself in the outward action of showing God's word. And he gives three examples of that. Uh, they are not comprehensive, but they are incredibly pointed. Number one, he talks about the tongue. He said, if, if anyone thinks that he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. His religion is worthless. So the first way that we show that we're doing the Word of God is the way that we speak. Jesus said that it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. If you want to know what's going on inside your heart, have a look at the words that you are speaking. If you don't control your tongue, the things that you say about people, the things that you say to people, your choice of words, uh, your decision around jokes, you want to go read a bit more up on the tongue, go read through the book of Proverbs. Um, if you don't have a rein on your tongue, well, you don't have true religion. And then he gives two more examples, verse 27. 
pure and undefiled religion before God is this. So he talks about the tongue and the speech. He talks then about the hands. I think it's the hands. You want to break it down like that? It's to look after orphans and widows. In Psalm 68, uh, we're told uh, that God uh, is the father to the fatherless and the comforter of widows. That is the picture that we have here, that, that true religion is enacting God's love uh, towards people who cannot help you back. And, you know, that's what he's talking about here. Yes, he's talking about in his day and age, the people who were most at risk, most vulnerable, the potentially the most destitute, but also the people who could not um, do anything in return. You know, it's the idea where Jesus says, when, when you invite people to a banquet, don't invite those who can invite you back and kind of one-up people. Invite those who have nothing to offer you, who can't invite you back, because that's a picture of the kingdom of God. God invited us to the wedding feast of the Lamb, to the banquet supper. He invited us to his home in heaven, knowing that we had nothing to offer him, nothing to give him. Our best were but filthy rags, and God invited us anyways. That's the love that he shows to us. We were orphans and widows, spiritually, and God came and rescued us. And so he says, go and do likewise. Show that love to orphans and widows. That's religion that's pure and undefiled. That is someone who has heard the word and received the word and is doing the word by showing the word in their life as they express the love of God to those who cannot love them back with anything in return. And the third thing he talks about is, is the heart. I think it's the heart. Um, he talks about uh, keeping oneself unstained from the world. He talks about keeping ourselves being polluted from the word. Somewhat world um, filled by the word, not being polluted by the world. James recognizes that we have to live in the world, but he says that our lives can be informed by the word as we go about living in the world. That we should not be formed by culture or society or social media or whatever it is that is going on around us. And so I really just come right back to where I began is that our decisions in life need to be based upon deep biblical thinking and not quick emotional reactions wherever they might come from. So let me ask you this. How are you when it comes to hearing and receiving God's word? Are you listening to it? Are you quick to listen to it? And are you slow to speak? And are you slow to anger? How are you when it comes to doing and showing that, that word? I want to end taking us right back to verse 22, just with some encouragement. I don't want you to leave uh, feeling guilty this morning. That's the, the risk that you run in a sermon like this. And you go, oh my gosh, I've messed up so badly. I'm not hearing. I'm not receiving. I'm not doing. I'm not showing. I'm none of those things. I don't have control of my tongue. Um, I'm not looking after orphans and widows. I'm being polluted by the world. Uh, I don't want you to go away feeling that. I want you to go away experiencing uh, God's grace. Remember, how does God's grace come to you? Well, it comes to you through his word. And how do you respond to that grace when life happens to you? Well, you do these things. You hear it and you receive it and you do it and you show it. But verse 22 says this. It says, but be doers of the word. And literally when it talks about being doers of the word, it's talking about 
become doers of the word. Keep on becoming doers of the word. Friends, the thing about repentance, this turning back to God, is it's something that we do every single day. I have to turn back to God every single day. Every morning, I've got to wake up and repent and turn away from sin and turn to God. And so this call in verse 22 to be doers of the word is to today become a doer of the word. Forget about yesterday. Forget about what might have happened yesterday and how you may have messed up yesterday. If, you, if yesterday was a winning day and you were a doer of the word, that's great. You can rejoice in that. But don't rest in that because today you've got to become a doer of the word. And if yesterday was a stuff up, leave it behind because today is a fresh opportunity for you to become a doer of the word. And God wants to save your soul. That's why he has planted this word in you. He is planting this word in you every single day. And so will you come to God's word with a fresh attitude and with fresh eyes, ready to put what this passage says into practice every time you hear it? Will you change your schedules around so that you can make sure that you're quick to listen to it? Listening to it as often as you're able to, to, to make time to do it. And you can make the time to do it, believe you me. And become this doer of the word. Stop deceiving yourself. Become a doer. Today, tomorrow, and until our Lord Jesus comes back to take us into eternity. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your word would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and that as we follow it, we would be doers of the word and not hearers only, becoming a doer every day of our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.